0: Everywhere you go, to, if you go on vacation to a city, this or that place, there's always things that are famous and known for that city uh, and that you have to do if you go there. If you go to New York, you kind of need to, to see the Statue of Liberty. If you go to London, you've got to see the, uh, the, uh, the Tower of London and, and Big Ben and all those good things. Well, well here in uh, northern Virginia and D.C., uh, it's no different. We, uh, our, our industry of this city is government. And we have the tourist uh, attractions there. You can go see the, the Capitol and the, and the White House, which, which I haven't yet myself, maybe one of these days. Uh, and we also have our, our big and famous events that are known. Uh, and in D.C., that would be the protest. <laughs> I have not gone to a protest or, or had not gone uh, in the years that i would lived here. And a friend of mine invited me to, to join him for one. Well, I don't want to get my, my car keyed, and I, I don't want to go down you know, with people throwing rocks and, and setting fire to uh, police cars. And that, that's not really my kind of scene. Uh, but this wasn't that sort of a protest. This was the March for Life a few weeks back. And in case you're wondering, this is not a sermon on abortion. That, that is not where I'm going with this. Uh, it simply happens to be <coughs> the March for Life that, that he was going to, and he had a group of people and friends that, with a bus and an empty seat. So I didn't have to worry about getting my car keyed. I just rode down on their bus. And we went to the, uh, the mall, which if you've ever been, it's a, it's a very big place and it was full with I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people there might have been. And the president came and, and he spoke, which was also something else that I had not personally witnessed. So, you know, another check on the, on the bucket list to see the president speak. Uh, and then we marched and it took a long time because there were so many people. We marched off the mall and up Constitution Avenue, which is a big wide road full of people for, for hours on end marching up to the Supreme Court, protesting the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973. Uh, This is the world's largest human rights march, um, they say. They don't actually give numbers, but they say that's true. So so, um, I I suppose I don't know of any bigger ones. So it certainly seems like the world's largest march. And they were all very friendly people. They were all... Protesting in a peaceful way and holding up signs expressing their opinion on what I believe the Bible teaches of being the sin of abortion and how it is not right that that we allow it and they marched up uh, to the Supreme Court and then they all got back on their buses and they went home and the abortions continued the same as before and that has happened every year for 50 years. Every year for 50 years they go and they hear speeches and they march and they hold their signs and they get back on their buses and they go home And nothing changes. Now, I I don't mean to insult these good people. I mean, these are these are people that that I believe are are doing a good thing. And and certainly letting the message out there is is a wise and a godly thing. Uh, I, I do believe the Bible, the prophet Jeremiah says that when he was in his mother's womb, God knew him. So I think from that we can derive that an unborn child to God is indeed a human being, even though they are not yet born, they exist and they are a person, and they ought to have at least the the minimum of rights. So protesting that is a legitimate thing, but it doesn't seem to have done so much difference. The laws have not changed. The Supreme Court has not reversed that decision. They they did that 50 years ago in, in one case, and here we are 50 years later, and it's still there. So as we look in the Word of God, I think there is an example that we see in the Word of God of something that we can learn from this. Let's turn to first Samuel chapter one and here I think we have a story that has a great applicability to modern Christianity, particularly modern American Christianity. First Samuel chapter one verse nine. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now, Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. Now, let's put this story in somewhat of a modern context. Picture a church that was built perhaps in the 1950s in a suburb. Well, that was a long time ago, and things have changed. The suburb has changed. The neighborhood has changed. It's not so good anymore. It's not really a suburb. Now it's more of an inner city. The church is still there. Most of the people have moved away. Uh, Some of them drive in sometimes. Most of the people that are around there now don't, don't really go to the church that much. But the church is still there, still preaches. There's still a preacher. And so one night, the preacher comes out the door ready to go home and he locks the door and he locks the door and he locks the door and there's another one down here and then there's that that big great thing you know you pull down and and you close the shutters over the windows otherwise the glass will be smashed the next day and he turns around to go home and now here on the sidewalk in front of the church is this figure huddled down just sort of rocking back and forth mumbling to herself and he says oh for goodness sakes can't you junkies go shoot up somewhere else you have to do that in front of the church one of the women, she pops up and says, No, I'm not drunk. I'm not, I'm not shooting up. I'm not an addict. I have a real problem. I am praying for God's help. Well, okay, the preacher realizes, Well, I was wrong. She's not drunk. She's actually legitimately here praying. And so immediately, he turns around and he counsels her and he gives her, you know, a feeling that she's been with God. He prays with her. She prays and she goes home and she feels better. And that's what we see here in 1 Samuel. Hannah really had a problem. She had a legitimate problem. She was praying for a son, which the Bible teaches is, is something that is, that is okay to pray for. Eli made a mistake. He jumped to a conclusion. But as soon as he was presented with the facts that she wasn't actually drunk, he immediately counseled her as, as a loving Christian or pastor ought to do. And the Bible says that she went home feeling that she had been with the man of God. And the passage goes on to say that that was not a false feeling. That was true. God had heard her prayer. She did indeed have a son. That was the prophet Samuel. So Eli, he was a human being. He made mistakes, but he had a pastor's heart. He did legitimate pastoral counseling work here for Hannah in a a legitimate way for a Christian person that was in need. And God heard and God answered. Now, you may say, now, wait a minute, Eli, I've heard about this fellow. He's not not one of the great heroes of the Christian faith. What's wrong with Eli? How how is he doing a good job as a pastor? Well, what you're thinking of probably is Eli's sons. Eli's sons, they they worked in the church, too. They were also priests. But they did not have a pastor's heart. The Bible says they were sons of Belial, which is sons of the devil. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, uh, one of Pastor's relatives preached on... uh, Eli's sons, and he went into great detail as to the the nature of their sin with the rules that God had laid down for how the tabernacle ought to be run. And I'm not going to rehash the details of that, but just to put it in the modern vernacular, they had sticky fingers in the offering plate. They were stealing from the offering, and it wasn't just the only place their hands were that they didn't belong. They had their hands on the women of the church as well. Now, this wasn't exactly a secret. People knew this. And people knew that if they brought their offering to the church, it was going to get ripped off. And people knew if they brought their daughter to the church, worse things would happen. And the Bible tells us that people hated the offering of the Lord. Well, duh, that makes common sense. If you know you're going to get stolen from, you're naturally not going to be exactly eager to do that. Now, this reminds me of something that that probably most of you um, have heard of, or certainly older ones remember. When I was young, uh, there were these famous... Televangelists. They had these huge ministries and these huge churches. They preached to, I don't know how many thousands of people in the church, and they were on the television preaching to millions and millions of people. And all the little old ladies would send in their little ten dollars, send in their checks, and the evangelist would pray for them. And then, over time, these stories came out about how these evangelists lived with their Learjets and their, their Rolls Royces and their mansions. And then more stories came out about... The, uh, the secretary and, and the, the deacon's wife and, and also even, in some cases, prostitutes and, and things that have no business being dealt with in a church. And certainly you've got no business being in the ministry if you're doing things like that. Well, some of these people were, were thrown out of the ministry, and rightly so. Some of them people, after a year or two, came back in repentance and got right back up in the pulpit again and picked up where they left off to this day. Some of them are still out there supposedly flogging the scripture. But there was a change before probably about the, the 80s and the 90s when this happened, when you saw a preacher or a pastor depicted in popular culture you know, in a TV show or in a Hollywood movie, usually they were depicted sympathetically. I mean, they weren't always the hero, but but usually they were a, a, a good ish, sort of a decent kind of a character. That changed today. If you happen to ever see a priest or a minister in a TV show or a movie, maybe they're doing a wedding, and if they're doing a wedding, they're probably a girl. But if there's a, a, an actual priest or minister or, or pastor doing pastoral kind of stuff in a movie, they're always depicted as a fraud. At best, they're somebody who's stupid and ignorant. Usually, they're the bad guy. They're the villain. They're the phony. And and these televangelists, I think, caused a large amount of that. Just as the sons of Eli, they caused the offering of the Lord to be hated. Likewise, the sins of these people caused the work of God, the ministry of God, in popular culture, in unsaved people's minds, to be a thing of filth. Now, God does not like that. God is, is very angry at that. And you might suppose, well, maybe that's where Eli was in trouble. Maybe that's why God was angry with Eli, because he didn't confront the sin. But no, that's not true. The Bible tells us that is not at all true. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 22. Now Eli was very old, and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel. And how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? notwithstanding they hearkened not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. So we see here, Eli did not cover over their sin. He did not brush it under the rug. He confronted it. He specifically told them the Bible truth. He said it was a sin. They were causing God's people to stumble, and if they didn't repent, God would judge them. Is there anything wrong with what Eli said? Not at all. We could make a sermon out of this today. We could could preach exactly that, and it would be 100% holy. It would be 100% biblical and godly. Confronting sin is right. Preaching against sin is right. Telling that God will judge your sin is the truth. Eli did that. You see, nowhere in the Bible do we see any record of any personal sin that Eli committed. Was Eli sleeping with the ladies of the church? The Bible never tells us that. Was Eli stealing from the offering? The Bible never says that either. Was Eli covering over sin? Nope. Here he is, preaching against it. So why was God so angry with Eli? Well, where we see where God came down and confronted Eli, I think it shows a hint of what the problem is. One more chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile. And he restrained them not. And therefore, I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. So we see God understood that Eli himself was not the big sinner. He, here he is citing his sons. He's saying that the sons were sinners. Well, that wasn't news. Eli knew that. He would confronted it. But God is saying, I'm going to punish Eli because of what his sons Did Even though Eli, as far as we can tell from the scripture, personally lived a clean life, even though Eli knew what was the word of God, even though he preached the word of God openly, that wasn't enough. That's not good enough. And I think that we see a lot of this in our world and in our churches today. We see the world all around us is living like the devil. Well, but I'm not. I'm not committing these sins. I'm doing what is right. I I have a clean life. And yes, I, I do preach against sin. I, I confront sin. I, I, when sin, I say it's bad. I say it's wrong. I don't sin like that anyways. And I confront it. That's good, right? Well, obviously it is good. But that is not good enough. When I was in Bible college, Bible colleges, if you've ever been there, they do have rules. And some of those rules are found in the Bible and some of them are not. We will stick with the ones that are found in the Bible. Like, don't get drunk. (laughs) And I think that is a good rule for a Bible college to have. I, I have no objection to the existence of that rule. And every year, when you have young people in Bible college, there will be some that follow the rules, and there will be some that don't. And the people in that college that were most notorious for breaking the rules were the preacher's kids. Every year... They were preacher's kids. Some preacher kid would get drunk, one of which almost made it back to the campus with the police in pursuit. That didn't end well. And they would get expelled. But then there were those that didn't get expelled. That would be the board members' kids. Now, I can preach this sermon here tonight because, praise God, we do not have this problem. We all know. Pastor Mike's children, and we all know, at least so far as we can tell, they're certainly not going out and getting drunk and, and, and whoring around and all those kinds of things. They, as far as we can tell and know, are living godly lives. and amen to that. But obviously there was a problem here, because of all of these, I mean, you don't get to be a board member of a Bible college unless you are a big-time pastor of a big-time church. And why are your sons sons of Belial? just like Eli? Were these people not Preaching the Bible? No, I, I have every reason to suppose that they did, in fact, preach the Bible. Sure, they did. I mean, there were people getting saved at their church. I would imagine, as far as I can tell. I mean, I heard some of them preach, went to some of their churches, and they, you'd go there, you say, well, this is a good church. It's a, it's a fine church. It's preaching the gospel." Well, all right. Some of these kids, you know, they're they're grown up, so everybody has to make their own decisions for Christ, right? I mean, God has no grandchildren. Everybody decides to be saved or not to be saved, and Eli's sons decided not to be saved, and. Presumably, some of these, these uh, preachers' kids, likewise, decided not to be saved. And that's just the way it goes, right? Because each person has their own soul. But again, no, no, God, God wasn't quite satisfied. Why not? Let's look at verse 18. And Samuel told him every wit, that's Eli, and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. Now, now that sounds like a godly thing, right? I mean, our Father, which art in heaven, you know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, this is is not an unbiblical statement, right? I mean, it sounds holy and right and good. And, And obviously, in context, I mean, it is a holy thing to say, thy will be done. But God is telling Eli that he's going to punish his sons, and Eli's response is, thy will be done. And you can almost see God looking down at Eli and saying, no, 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 Eli. Yes, I am God. I am going to do what I am going to do. That's what it means to be God. My will is going to be done. That's the job description of being God. And I did not come down here to tell you that I was God. You already know that. And I certainly already know that. And I did not come down here to tell you that your sons were sinners. We both already know that. I saw you preach to them and tell them that they were sinners. This is not news. What is it that God wants? God wanted something more from Eli. God wanted Eli not to live a clean life. I mean, he did want that, but he was already doing that. And he didn't want Eli to preach at his sons. He did want that, but he'd already done that. He wanted Eli to get up off of his tail and sack those bums. He wanted them to go all Donald Trump on him. You're fired. See, there was something in the real world, not just Eli's personal life, And not just his preaching life with his mouth, but an actual thing in the real world that Eli had the power to do that he did not do. And that is why Eli was a failure. Now, I don't think that that sent Eli to hell. I believe when we go to heaven, and I do hope that you are going there, we will in fact find Eli there. I believe Eli was, what what we would now say, a saved individual. I think that he did serve God. I think he did believe in God. I think he tried his very best to follow the laws of God. And when he died, I believe he went to, well, Abraham's wasn't, but ultimately heaven. And and, and so we will meet him there. But I don't think that God said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because there was something that he could have done that he did not do. Now, we'll never know how this story could have ended. Eli could have gotten up off of his knees, hearing God condemn his family and his sons. And he could have, even though he was a very old man. He was still the father. He was still the high priest. He could have gone out, even at that late date, and he could have sacked his boys from the church. And who knows? Maybe that was what they needed. Maybe they just needed a good hard stick upside the head to be thrown out on their ear. Maybe they would have repented. Who knows? We won't, because it didn't happen. He never did that. Now, Eli said, God, you're going to do what you're going to do. And God did, in fact, do what God was going to do. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 14 through 18. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli. Now, Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army, and I fled today out of the army. And he said, What is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck broke and he died for he was an old man and heavy and he had judged Israel 40 years. So Eli's last day on earth, just exactly as God had promised and prophesied, he heard. That his sons had been punished. He heard. He heard that his nation had been conquered by their enemies, that his church, in effect, had been destroyed. The Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant. His sons were dead, and he fell off his chair, and he broke his neck, and he died right then and there, exactly as God prophesied. So God did judge the sin. God did do what he was going to do, exactly as Eli had said for him to do. A little brutal, though. But we're not finished. Verse 19. And his daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, was with child, near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings, that the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not. Neither did she regard it. So who's left of Eli's family in one day? There is nobody left except a tiny, naked, squalling, friendless, newborn infant in a country that's been conquered by their enemies. The only one left is the one human being that contributed nothing whatsoever to any of the sins. Which, in a way, brings us back to abortion. Abortion. You see, I think as Christians, we pray to God to work. Now, can God work? Yes, absolutely he can. Does God work? Yes, he absolutely does. But there is a reason that we are here on earth. We are here on earth because God expects us to work. Now, if we cannot or we do not, then God will. And if we cannot, then God will have mercy and he will work to help. But if we do not, His will will still be done. Was God's tabernacle cleansed of the evildoers? Yes, it was. They were slaughtered by the Philistines. Did it have to be that way, though? Was there maybe a, a not quite so brutal way of accomplishing it? Well, I think that God was trying to tell Eli, you know, it doesn't have to be this bad. Yes, I will do it. I will solve the problem for you, if that is what you want. But it might be a lot nicer if you'll do it yourself. So when we stand here and we pray, Lord, cleanse our country of these sins. And I could list those for an hour, and I'm sure you could too. Should we pray that? Yes, we should pray that. But we should be careful what we're praying. Do we really want God to cleanse our country of our sins the way God cleansed his temple of those sinners? Is that really what we want? Or is there a better way? Do we, is really what we ought to be praying, Lord, give us the strength and the wisdom and the knowledge to know what it is that I can do to help cleanse these sins. Now, you're not the president and you're not a Supreme Court justice. I get that. You can't change the law. God didn't expect Eli to convert all Israel to following God. That wasn't within his power. That wouldn't be fair. God did expect him to clean his own temple that he himself was the high priest over and not employ priests that were lousy, no good bones. That was within his power, and God expected him to do it, and he wouldn't. God gives you the power to do whatever it is that he expects you to do. God doesn't hold you responsible for doing things that you can't do. But everybody can do something. Everybody can do something different. And for most of us, it's not just, well, I can pray. Yes, you can pray. And you most certainly should pray. And if you are an invalid and you are in bed, perhaps praying is the only thing that you can do. And if so, amen. And God bless you as you do that. But most of us, God has given us more abilities than that. And more power and more influence. Maybe a little, maybe a lot. It depends. Every one of us is different. But whatever it is that God has for us to do, he expects it. Now, we can say we're living a clean life. Amen, you should be doing that. And we should be confronting sin, too. But as we see from Eli, that's not the end of the story. If you have actual power, actual influence in the real world, God expects that, too. And if you don't, well, God has the ultimate power in the real world. We know that. And God will use his power. And when he does, it is mighty. And it is strong. And everybody sees it. And it's very, very final. We'd rather see people converted than killed. We'd rather see people saved then go to hell. So would God. Ultimately, it's up to them, of course. Each person has to make their own decision. But God has given it to us to be the hand by which that decision is offered to them. Eli knew the word of God. He even taught the word of God. But he didn't enforce it where he could. And as a result, his whole family was lost. My prayer tonight is that that would not be the case with our families and with our country.